This is Rachel Tachberg, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Vet Med Mind. I am so glad that you chose this episode because this one, this one's really special. I had the pleasure of speaking with Rhonda Bell, the owner of Dog Days Consulting, where she focuses on veterinary social media and marketing management for vet practices and businesses nationwide. But we're not really going to talk about that today. Today, we focus our attention on a turning point in her life, which is when she was diagnosed with scleroderma back in 2016, which is when she had to make some serious changes to her career in vet med. The story of her life before, during, and after her diagnosis is very powerful and incredibly inspirational. Rhonda speaks beautifully about being as she calls other abled and what that means to her as she's had to reimagine her career. Her authenticity and transparency are quite moving and I just know you're going to love this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, Rhonda, I am so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the Vet Med Mind podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited and I'm really excited about the topic that we're we're chit-chatting about today. Yes, me too. It is it's it's definitely an important thing for us to talk about, something that you and I both share. So, I am I'm very excited to hear your story. And so, speaking of stories, I I like to start from the beginning. So, mm-hmm. I always find there are some interesting ways people get involved in vet med and how that all started. So just share with us how you came to be in vet med and what really drew you to this field. Um, I needed a job and it was 1996 and I lived in a very small town. There were two veterinarians and I thought, I love puppies and kittens. I am perfect for this job. <laughs> Um, and so I knew nothing. I was really young and I had just gotten married two years prior and I was, so I got married at 18. So 1996, I would have been 20. Um, and I loved it. I walked into that environment. They probably didn't love me because I knew nothing. Like I was just, you know, a box of rocks. So, but I loved the environment. I loved what was happening. I loved the patients. I loved the the clients. I love the connection, the relationship. I love the fact that the veterinarian that I work for, he's amazing. And we're still friends to this day, but he knew everybody's name and knew stories and knew like he had these relationships. And, and I fell in love with the relationships behind veterinary medicine. And that's what impacted me. And I knew like, okay, this is the space I'm supposed to be in. I don't know how to, I was looking at other people in the industry and like, man, how do I get to be the technician that's been somewhere for five years. Like, how do I get to, like, that was my lofty goal at the time because I was just amazed, like, man, they know everything. How do I get to be that person? And then I immediately found out I was pregnant. And so at 21, we had our first son and it was just, we also had a, I had a stepdaughter. So two kids at home, couldn't afford daycare, vet meds, didn't pay any better now back then than it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to quit and I became a stay at home mom for a few years. And I set the goal of I'm coming back like this. I'm not done here. So just hold my place. I will be back. And so fast forward, I had another son. So now we've got three kids. When the youngest son went to kindergarten full time, I went back to vet med and I started, I got another job. I went to a veterinary assistant training school with the intent of then I'm going to go to tech school. I'm going to be a technician. I was on the tech track. Um, 
finished that program and loved it. And the little practice that I was assigned to, to do my internship actually hired me and they went to my little graduation. And this was just a little veterinary assistant program. And just seeing them in the audience, I didn't realize they were going to do that. Like I didn't know and I mean, the owner and everybody. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm important. Like I'm important to these people. And it was that relationship again. And I just fed off of that, that community in veterinary medicine. And so I just kind of continued to work with them. Like I just stayed even after graduation. I'm like, okay, well, I work for you now. And this, I'm just going to keep showing up. And so I was going to college at the same time for business. And when I graduated from college, I told the owner again, I'm like, hey, I just graduated. It's online. So there's nowhere to go. So you don't have to go to graduation. <laughs> but I just graduated from college. I have a, my business degree and I'm really excited. So if you need any help, I would love to just kind of learn things. She's like, oh my God, that's fantastic. You're now our manager. And I was like, Oh, what? Classic. <laughs> so classic, normal, <laughs> normal promotion strategy for everybody. Yes. Um, keep showing up and you're going to get moved up the ranks. Yes. So I was like, oh, management. Uh, I don't know, because I'm on the tech track. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm going to be a tech. And so as I kind of really got into the business of veterinary medicine, I was like, oh, oh my God, this is it. So mm-hmm. I found my, I found my spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the other crux to my little career is that my husband was active duty Marine. So he drug me around everywhere. And so I had to restart over every time we got a new duty station. And so moving into management roles was a little trickier because there weren't a ton of openings every time I went somewhere, but okay. I got super lucky that there were opportunities for me every time we went somewhere. And so again, it was just a blessing and just that career path was just amazing. Yeah. So getting CVPM was a little tricky because you got to be somewhere for three years. We always left at 24 months. So again, I finally was at a place long enough. I got my CVPM and I just knew that this is kind of the story that I had to tell in terms of my career path. And it's, it's weird. It may not be what you think, but it, you know, follow the journey one foot in front yeah. of the other and see what happens. So that's how I got started. And that's how I got to see VPN. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And so there was clearly a piece of you that was interested in the business side, right? You pursued mm-hmm. an education after going to that assistant program in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, where was your head at when you were already making that choice? Like you hadn't put the pieces together yet that this could be of that med thing. So I guess, yeah, like what called you to the business side and and, and how, how did you think about connecting the tech and the business or maybe right. you had it at that point in your life? I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't fully because honestly, in, if I go back and, and I'm truly honest, I thought that the people who were in the business roles in the veterinary space were um, really big, important people that knew a lot of things. Mm. And I was not that person because I didn't know a lot of things and I knew I didn't know a lot of things. So I had that imposter syndrome early on because there's just not a lot of career path clarity. There's not a a lot of people talking about their journeys or we're all paving our own way. So we have no choice but to question and doubt and worry and concern and, and all of those things in terms of how you grow a career in veterinary medicine, especially one that's custom to you. So, you know, you're either a kennel attendant, a vet assistant, a technician, or a doctor, you can, or a manager. Yeah. That's what you got. 
Well, now that's not even close. Like that's just the tiniest amount of what you can be in veterinary medicine. So I didn't know where I was headed with the business, but both of my parents own businesses my whole life. So as I was being raised, I was being raised as an employer and a leader and a manager versus being an employee follower. And I know that probably sounds horrible, but there are two very different mindsets whenever you are in any kind of business structure. You need a leader and you need the the staff that's going to implement those changes and implement what's happening. So as I was being raised, that mindset was leader, employer. Like this is because that's what my parents talked about. That's who they were. Those were their concerns. So that's what I was kind of um, around and influenced by. And so I knew I liked it and I knew I liked business. And ultimately I wanted to lead something in my own space that was, but I didn't think it was gonna be veterinary medicine. I thought I was gonna own a business doing something somewhere. I thought about pet sitting. I thought about doing boarding. We were talking about doing a boarding facility for a really long time because I knew it was going to be animals, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't know that I could own a business in veterinary medicine. And I'm from Texas. And so you can't own a practice as, you know, unless you're married to the doctor and my husband was already taking up that spot. So it's like, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. So I just didn't know. Um, But I knew it was, I was going to do something somewhere yeah. with something. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I think that that's fantastic. And and look, and I I hear you. The the way that I experienced vet med was very similar. And I know a lot of listeners are experiencing it in the exact same way because it might still seem like five jobs. It it really might. And in some practices that might be it. Um and so it's funny because when I was in vet med I did the whole, you know, tech assistant, technician, surgery technician, inventory manager, lead technician Mm -hmm. manager. Now I had planned to go to vet school. And so that was, I was like laser focused. I had blinders on any other possibility for my career. And so that was happening before I got the practice manager role. And I had made the choice to not go to vet school Mm -hmm. um, for a million reasons. That's a whole other podcast episode, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I had decided not to go and when it happened, I fell into a, a huge sort of like quarter life crisis because yeah. when you're laser focused on something like that and you see that there's only five jobs available to you in a practice, you're like, well, now what do I do? You know, mm-hmm. and I went down that rabbit hole of, I remember going on to grad school programs for physical therapy and this and that, like things that really didn't interest me. But I was just like, well, I, I, I don't think I want to be a technician forever. Like this wasn't the dream. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of similarly practice management found me and I have that same sort of like eyes open, like, whoa, like this is not what I thought yeah. I would like. And then here we are. So it is, it is wonderful that, you know, wh- I guess I'm going to say this way. It's sort of a double-sided point, right? People are often put in places of management that don't necessarily have the skills, ability, training to do it well. Very true. Flip side, you know, we both are two examples of people given an opportunity that changed our lives, Mm -hmm. that opened up so many doors and, and created an entirely unforeseen path to our current life, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is something also very beautiful in that where we didn't see it. We ended up in this sort of scenario, regardless of whether or not our bosses saw saw us succeeding or whatever, right. or just a space to fill or who knows. We ended up there. 
Um, and it all worked out, you know, and so it is a very interesting sort of sort of thing that happens in our industry for sure. Um, but I want to talk now about your career as a manager, because I know this mm -hmm. is sort of where things started to go not so according to plan. So yeah, yeah. talk to me about, <laughs> yeah, right. In, in the most simplest of terms. So yeah. tell me about that journey as a manager and some of the challenges that you've faced. So like I mentioned, over the years, being that we're a military family, we moved a lot. Um, so I think we clocked it where we changed houses every 18 months for about 16 years. So we would live in base housing or we would live in um, the community housing and then wait to get a base house. So always moving, always transitioning. And at duty stations, they tell you that you're going to be at a duty station for about three years. Well, it's usually shy of that. So again, achieving that CVPM was very, very difficult. Um, towards the end of my husband's career, I told him like, look, your Marine Corps days, we're seeing twilight here. So we need to really be focusing and allowing me to develop my stuff because we don't know what's going to happen with you. So my career is at a point where we can move forward and I can really get a foothold in what I'm trying to do here, but I've got to go to the next level and I can't go to the next level if I'm always having the rug pulled out from under me. And so we really just committed and dedicated that no matter what, I was going to get myself into a location where I could do three years. And so he was we were stationed together in Arizona. Um, he was actually serving overseas in Afghanistan at the time. And I decided to apply to a job in California because I knew our next duty station was going to be California. But what I was trying to do is look for a location that I knew there were two bases he could go to possibly. And I was looking for a job that he could drive to either place. And so oh, he wow. was going to commit to commute and it, the focus was going to be around my job. And so I found a location. I went and interviewed with them. It was amazing. And as I left, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. It's actually two locations, same owners. And it, they were twins. It was going to be great. Um, the practices were not the owners. Um, and so <laughs> I, they said, okay, we need a few days to think about this and we'll get back to you. And I'm like, Oh, well, the interview I had went way better than that, but okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even make it down the road and they called and said, you're the one we're bringing you back. Let's make this happen. And he's, you know, they said, how fast can you get here? And I said, well, pretty good at moving now. So I can have us packed up and moved in 30 days. So the joke in our family, and I've been married to my husband for 29 years. And so we've kind of been through everything. The joke in our family is when he left, he lived in Arizona. When he came back from Afghanistan, he lived in California. So <laughs> I packed our household, everything, my kids, everything. And we went to California and I started my CVPM journey at that point. And the owners were a thousand percent percent supportive. They bought the books. They, you know, they just allowed me all the freedom that I needed to be able to do that and achieve that. Um, and I did it. I got it completed. And that was in 2015, July of 2015. I was, I couldn't believe it. I took the test and it was, I was one of the earlier ones to do, and they give you the automatic results. Mm -hmm. And so I took the electronic test and I was sitting at the testing center. My husband's out in the car waiting and, and you just see the little word pass, like flash on the screen. And then it goes away. And you're like, did anybody else see that? Like, I need proof. Like, did it, what do I do? Like, I was panicking because I'm like, I want printouts. Show me, show me that I passed. So I go out in the car and I tell my husband, I'm like, holy crap, I passed that test. Like, it was the hardest test I have ever taken in my life. It was so difficult. 
And I had mentors. I mean, it was just, and all my friends, my, my manager group friends that are, are my mentors and my, my support um, were texting, like, you know, they were texting my husband. He had my phone, like, where is she? Where is she? And he's like, girls, calm down. She doesn't know yet. Like, and so as soon as I was out and they could smell my feet on the pavement and they were texting again, like, okay, did you do it? And so I passed. Then within the year, I started feeling really bad and really worn out. We had a bunch of turmoil in the practice with staffing and just working long hours. And so I thought, man, the stress is just kicking my butt. You know, I'm just not recovering like I normally do. I, for me, working 12 hours on the floor isn't usually a deal breaker. Um, I'm tired, like every normal human gets tired, but this was more, this was fatigue, like bone tired. And I noticed my hands were changing colors. And so I was kind of having this weird, my fingers would turn blue, they would turn white, they would get really red. And it was like, what the heck is going on with that? And again, I'm going stress. Okay, so, well, there is no stress reducing in veterinary medicine. I know we try and we talk about it and it's something we really work on and we should continue to work on, but it's an internal, it's a very personal thing. Stress is personal to the person. So. I was trying to figure it out. Um, I finally went to the doctor and I said, hey, what's going on? They're like, uh, we don't know. You're just stressed. You need to, you know, ease up on the stress in your life. I'm like, oh, thank you for that. That was huge advice. So, mm-hmm. you know, as I go, it's getting worse and I'm getting weaker and I'm getting more tired. Um, and I was scheduled for a breakfast meeting with the owners and we were going to go over um, some financials. So we were actually meeting for breakfast. We didn't want to be in the practice as we were kind of going over budgets and that sort of thing. Um, and super not feeling good. And I had this, this really strong pressure in my back between my shoulder blades, kind of like, and I know it's probably TMI, but kind of like, you know, you just need to burp really, yeah. really like, like, come on, just one good one. And I'm, I'm not, you know, allowed belcher or anything like that, but I really was just praying like, come on, you know, you just want to hit yourself, like anything you do to, to pop that bubble that was in your chest. Um, and I didn't realize I was running late and I typically am not late for meetings. And so I was running late and the owner called and said, Hey, you know, where are you? You're running behind. And apparently I was slurring my words or I wasn't making a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a lot of the details, um, but he said, well, where are you at? And I was thought that was the dumbest question ever. I'm like, I'm at home. He's like, no, literally, where are you at in your house? And I was like, I'm upstairs. I'm about to leave for the meeting. Like I'm getting dressed. I'm about to leave. And he's like, okay, I'm going to come pick you up. And I was like, that is so freaking bizarre, but he's kind of a wonky dude. So whatever. So it, again, nothing was really like, it was just a very weird if you haven't gone through it, it's hard to explain just kind of a, you know, warped time. Um, so he actually shows up and I remember sitting at the foot of my bed and not realizing how much time really had lapsed. And all of a sudden my boss is standing in my bedroom and I'm going, what the heck is that? Like, what's going on? Um, and he's like, come on, we're going to go. And he kind of puts me over his shoulder and he's a short guy and I'm five, nine, like I'm tall. And he kind of puts me over his shoulder and he drags me downstairs and he takes me to the ER. And I was having a heart attack or a cardiac event. And I didn't even know I had no clue. He has had several heart attacks at that point or had. Um, and so he recognized what was happening. He knew. 
And if it weren't for him, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if it would have progressed or I, I, I don't know. I thank God I never have to find out. Um, wow. So went to the wow. ER, I saw the crash cart. I was like, oh, we have one of those at the hospital. Like I was just totally in this surreal, very weird space. Um, they were sticking medicine under my tongue and they were putting, you know, sticky things all over me. And yeah, I spent three days in the ICU um, trying to figure out what happened, the damage, the extent. And I remember the second day in ICU, I was sitting up and I was aware and I knew what was happening at that point. And I had my husband sneak in a laptop because I needed to do payroll and, you know, I had to do time cards. And so I'm sitting in ICU recovering from my stress induced cardiac event doing payroll. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But nobody else knew how to do it. Like, that's the thing is nobody, nobody could do what I could do in that practice. And it was a lot of lessons learned. That was the first one is, you know, there's, you need to have a hit by the bus protocol in every single practice. Yeah. Um, so I did, I lived obviously shocker, um, but I was very sick and I had some damage. And so I was not able to walk for a very long time. I think it was about two or three months before I could actually kind of make it to the kitchen to cook dinner and then make it back to the couch. Like even walking to the bathroom was very difficult. I couldn't do it on my own. I would get extremely fatigued, very taxed. I'd have to sit down. I couldn't breathe. Um, so Fast forward, it took a, another year or so to figure out that I actually had a disease called scleroderma, and it's an autoimmune disease that is a connective tissue disorder. Um, for me, it's attacking my lungs. And so I have um, interstitial lung disease related to scleroderma, and I've lost 50% of my lung function that uh, they've now turned to scar tissue. And so I'm on a couple of forms of chemotherapy to try to keep that from moving forward and progressing as fast as scleroderma typically mm -hmm. progresses. And it's going well, like I've been on therapy now for about five years. Um, but it still gets me like I, I know that I can't breathe as well. We went to Denver for a conference and I was like, <gasps> you know, I'm dying. Like it's rough. Um, so now I'm, I kind of like, Oh, I can't just take any speaking gig. I need to figure out what the elevation is because right. yeah. you know that's, that's something I have to consider now. Yeah. So yeah, figuring out that I was sick. Um, and the doctors told me like, you know, scleroderma is, it's going to get you eventually like it is terminal. But it could take a very long time, depending on how therapy goes and how your particular disease progresses. And I'm like, okay, well, what about work? You know, can I work? And they said, absolutely. You'll be able to work. You're probably going to work part-time. You're going to have to modify your job. There's just a couple of new requirements, a new normal that's going to be for you. And I'm like, okay, what is that? And they said, well, um, you can't be around animals and you can't really be around people. Oh, and I was like, Okay, but you said I could work, <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't know what I did. So, yeah. so right there within two years of getting my CVPM, veterinary medicine was ripped away again. And so it was just crushing. And I know what you're talking about when you were saying, you know, now what? I felt like there was just this gaping hole in my identity that mm -hmm. I had no hope of filling. Like I didn't know what goes here because it hurts and it's open and it's a wound and what, what fits here now. Right. Because and while you're dealing with this new diagnosis, there is this 
you know, sort of this grief of the life that you were living before, right? And the fact mm-hmm. that you're dealing with this new illness and the disease that you have to figure out and live with for the rest of your life and your career that, you know, you worked so hard for. I I totally get it. And I've I've literally been there. I like Rhonda, I you and I talked before we started recording. We know mm-hmm. how similar our stories are, but I didn't realize just how similar our stories were. I I too was on a hospital bed doing payroll once. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow. when you said that, I was just like, oh my God, like it, and it, it's something that we've said, like, we know that other people are suffering in silence and going through the things that we've been through. Um, but to meet a person and to talk to a person who's like also been literally in that position where you're just like, what the hell am I doing? Like this, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. Um, and I, so I understand what that's like to be faced with two things at once. Like mm-hmm. one, I have this illness. I can't pretend like it doesn't exist anymore. Right. This is here now. And right. we know the consequences of pretending like you're fine. And yeah, finding yourself on a new trajectory. It's scary. It's hard to be on unsteady ground like that. So, yeah. so tell me, so what, what happened next? Like where, where did you go from there? Well, I did have a pity party for one for a while. I I faced some depression, um, not to an extreme because I'm more of a cranky depressed person where it's like, uh, -uh, I'm not doing this. Hold my beer. Like, no. And so I'm very stubborn. And it was, that was my answer was "Mm -mm, not today, Satan. We're not doing this. So Mm -hmm. next, like what's, what's the pivot? So it took me a while to figure out what a realistic pivot was because I also am practical where, you know, like for a while I told my husband, I lost my job. I mean, I had to leave because I couldn't maintain it. So we lost half of our household income like that in California, which meant we couldn't afford to stay there. So we had to sell our home and we moved back to Texas where things were more affordable and I was closer to family. Mm -hmm. So I could have help going to doctor's appointments because your other full-time job when you have diseases like ours is doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. I have four or five different types of specialists. I have tests that have to be done every six months. I have chemo that has to be maintained. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are are always place always being spun that you have to maintain, plus trying to figure out what that career is going to be and what that work is going to be. And then I didn't want to bite off something that my husband was going to have to chew because if something happened to me, you know, do we buy another home? Because if something happens to me, he has to pay for it by himself. Or, you know, what what makes sense in terms of investment and future versus giving up and just, you know, laying down and waiting for it to happen? What's the what's the middle road and what makes the most sense for us? So we moved back to Texas and we decided to build a home. And so we wanted to have a spot that no matter what, you know, our kids are adults now, but we have grandkids. And so they knew that they could come to Mimi and Papa's house. Like this is our home. Um, but we did make decisions where our home and the money that we're using to pay for that only came from his military retirement. We didn't spend more than what that particular amount of money would be because that way it never mattered if I had income or not. Mm. And so we just had to really make some very tough decisions. Um, because now mortality is a thing. Like I didn't ever consider that I wouldn't be around for a really long time. Um, and I had to stop and consider that. And it was like, oh, well, 
that really sucks. I don't want to think about that, but you do, you have to think about it. So I, as I was laying there recovering and trying to figure out all of those things and what do I do and what's smart, you know, do I make a will? Am I dying next week? Like what's happening? Um, I kind of just figured out like, well, I've got a message and I've got a lot of these skills that I've developed over 15 years or 10 years at at that point. Um, I can consult and I can help other people. And I was helping my other manager friends with things that I could do from home. And so it kind of just started there. And I liked being able to um, build practices and build businesses. It always went back to business Mm -hmm. for me. And so I told my husband, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but I think that I'm going to form our first LLC. And that way, no matter what, business it is, I've got a structure and I can just run it through it and we can kind of figure out what that's going to be. And he's like, you've lost your flipping mind. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. So within six months, I formed our LLC um, and called it something that it's, I had to do a DBA because as I might, as I branded and figured out what I was doing, I've, I've changed it, but that original LLC stands. So I started me on my own path of now I own a business in veterinary medicine, which I never thought would happen. And I don't know that it ever would have happened if scleroderma didn't happen to me. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those that did it have to happen the way it did because things are happening now. Mm-hmm. So I think I, a lot of head butting against, you know, walls and ceilings and sort of kind of figuring things out. But I realized that the one thing that I was really bad at in the practice was marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I never had time to do it as, as a, the practice manager. And it was always the first thing to get cut. The first thing that, that got cut on time, you know, I don't have time to do it. I don't want to think about it. I just don't have time to, you know, we were busy. Yeah. So I knew that there was a hole there and I was like, how can I make this easier, better, faster, cheaper, and more available to CVPMs like me who are struggling to get marketing done or practice owners who don't even have the first clue. And I knew that digital was only going to get stronger, more powerful. Social media was going to be a place that we really need to spend more time. There was a lot of opportunity that I always saw missed that, you know, client relationships could have been formed Mm -hmm. in the digital space. So I decided at that point, I broke the news to my husband. I'm like, I'm going to actually do some training and I'm going to get some additional certifications and I'm going to figure out how to blend veterinary medicine and digital marketing together. And he's like, uh, okay. And so at this point, he's just kind of letting me do my crazy thing. So I went back to school and I got a couple more certifications and now I have digital marketing certifications. Um, again, yeah. if, if you look at between what happened in 2016, I had a CVPM. That was my only credential since leaving veterinary, you know, air quotes, leaving veterinary medicine. I've now gained three additional certifications and speak nationally to people in the veterinary space, teaching them how to market their practices in a more powerful way, more connected way. That would have never happened before. Like, and I know it wouldn't have. So I'm blessed and I'm so grateful for the path and the journey, you know, warts and all Mm -hmm. to get me to where I'm at now. And the one thing I can tell you that happens the most, I'm sure this happens to you all the time, is when I'm at a conference and I tell my story, I'm very transparent. So mm-hmm. I, I will answer questions and I tell people during the presentations, be authentic, be you. You know, if you're sick, tell people. If you're this, say it. You know, if you're missing a leg, show them. You know, be authentic. Don't hide 
the parts of you that you think are going to be less acceptable to others. Be true. And so I have people come up to me after and they're like, you spoke to me today. Or I wanted you to know that I have bipolar disorder, or I wanted you to know that I have crippling anxiety, or I had one woman tell me and she brought me to tears because she's like, I wanted you to know that I am dealing with, she was at the tail end of breast cancer and she was beating it. Like she was surviving and she was almost done. And she wanted me to celebrate with her. And I did. And she said, Mm -hmm. I have to hide it from my boss. And I was just crushed. I'm like, could you imagine going through breast cancer, the diagnosis, the treatments, the fear, the worry, the chemo, the sick, like I started chemo, that crap sucks. Like it's the whole process. And to have to keep that a secret and go to work, like everything's normal. Mm -hmm. I cannot even imagine. I don't understand why she felt that was the case. I don't know. I don't know if it was her own belief system, which is a lot of what we do. We have our own belief systems and our own bias. And we assume others are going to penalize us. And I realized like, I've got to talk about this more. I've got to open a window. So people who are sick or disabled, handicapped, other abled, I I call myself other abled. I'm not handicapped. I'm not disabled. I'm other abled. I have Mm -hmm. other superpowers that showed up when my first one's kind of failed. So you got to open a window and let people have some air. And that's kind of what I do. And I don't have any secrets anymore. I've got a girlfriend of mine, um, Melissa. She's one of my best friends in the world. She has MS and she has struggled for years and she was in the same boat. Don't tell anybody because they won't hire you. Don't Mm -hmm. tell anybody because, you know, if you miss work because you have an appointment, they'll start holding it against you. Mm -hmm. And we do that in vet med. Like we do. And it's so unfair. Yeah. So if we talk about it and there's enough of us, we can make a change. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's just if there are, I, and, and I was one of those people, um, I hit it for sure. Um, and I don't, I don't even think I was doing a great job. I, I think yeah. that there was, it, it really boiled down to the amount of trust that existed at the time between me and my coworkers, the relationships that I was unable to build because I put up such significant walls. And right. so for anyone listening who doesn't know, I have lupus. That's that's my story. And I was diagnosed in early 2015. Um, I was a suspect for long before that. And right. that's really when it came to be. And I had just started a new job. And the, the first thing I did was pretend I was fine. Um, I didn't have time to have a disease. Yep. <laughs> there was too much to do. I was very mm-hmm. busy. Um, and I I refused to let it. Like you said, it was sort of like that moment for me where it was like, let's do this. It was like sort of like challenge accepted, except Mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't about my care, like my health care and my safety and being just living a long, healthy life. It was challenge accepted. I'm going to pretend you don't exist and see essentially if I can just live my life pretending that I'm fine. And I worked really hard to make that my reality. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of pushback from my body telling me, no, we, we can't pretend like you're fine and I'm not going to let you. Um, but yeah, I, I can really relate to that person who felt that they needed to hide. And, you know, look, there was definitely a lot of therapy involved. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of shame. There was a lot of feelings of yes, being an quote, other having disabilities, being looked Mm -hmm. at as less than or incapable or sick. Um, And that was really hard for me. 
And I refuse to identify in any of those ways. And I think that you and I can both agree that you can have a disease and not identify as a quote sick person, like whatever in your mind that label means to you. Cause that, that was something that, that I had that label in me. Like I was unwell. Um, and again, mm-hmm. it, it made me incapable of all the things I could achieve. And I just refused to accept my reality for a long time, but um, yeah, a lot of personal introspection had to happen before I was willing to embrace it as a superpower because it did open up and sort of unlock a lot of things in me that I didn't know was there a lot more resilience than I ever thought I was capable of. Yes. And again, a lot more, I was forced to be transparent and yep. in being transparent. And again, it took me a long time to talk about my, you know, my lupus, my story, um, even when I got on stages and I remember the first time I did it and I wanted to just like throw up and be like, mm-hmm. oh, that was terrible. And like deep in my soul, I knew people wanted to hear it, needed to hear it. Um, but it took me a really long time to get comfortable in that space. But that, that level of transparency can only happen when you're really willing to look at yourself mm-hmm. and to come to peace with what we're, where we're at. And just accepting that this is our story, but it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to bring us down. And it can be that superpower that allows you to experience the world in a different way. Um, make make very mindful choices about how you want to live your life, spend your time, the people you're with, the things yeah. you do. Um, and so in, an, in a sense, there's a lot of gratitude in that, in a weird, unconventional way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I totally but, get that. But it brings a lot of new perspectives to life. And mm-hmm. and there is something to be said for that. And it also, I think, has shown me that there is a lot of kindness and acceptance in the world. And for yes. people who feel that there won't be that waiting for them, mm-hmm. that I, you know, challenge you to try to yeah. see. So I, I um, yeah, I'm very moved by your story. I, you know, like I said, I, I see a lot of what you went through in me and and it, it also makes me emotional knowing how many people are out there that are yes. experiencing similar, similar, similar issues and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, having, having the challenges of where we feel like we work, if it's not safe, if I can't tell someone what I'm going through, um, but knowing that there are people out there like you and me and uh, thousands and thousands of other people who are here to listen and to help and to say that it, it is safe to share your story and that um, that's really important. And so now today, talk to me sort of about, you know, about your current career and, and what mm-hmm. what really brings you the most joy and and what you love most now about owning a business and this new path that you've taken. I get to have a ton of fun. I, when we built our home, um, there was an area in our home that was supposed to be a dining room. And I told my husband, like, I don't want a dining room. You know, this is not the eighties. We're not going to have the big dining table in the other room. And that was just weird to me. So I actually walled it off. I put French doors in and that was my office. And so not only did I have a business, I had a big girl office. And so I was like, I am for real. I'm going to buy, buy file folders and we're going to be in business. Like we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. So I now get to manage social media marketing and brand management for veterinary practices and industry partners. So I have clients in the veterinary space because again, 
you know, there's only the five rules in veterinary medicine. Well, there's not, there's a lot more. So I actually manage a few podcasts. Um, I manage some industry partners who are like an on-hole messaging company, some consultants and some coaches in the veterinary space. Um, we manage the marketing for a CE event, a conference. Um, and so we get to do a lot of different things in terms of promoting and building and growing businesses, which is kind of where I know God was putting me. I just didn't understand the tumblers that needed to happen in order for that to, to work. So I get to grow and build businesses in the veterinary space, in my office, in my jammas. And I absolutely love it. It's the best job ever. Yes. And I, I've actually started hiring people within the last 18 months. We've grown so much that it was becoming more than a just me job. Um, so I now have a team of four people and everyone's in the veterinary industry. They all have stories. You know, yeah. I have I have one that, you know, she's got her own mental health story to tell. And I have another one who has, you know, a stomach uh, autoimmune disease that affects her stomach. So she has a really hard time going to work because, mm-hmm. you know, her her body doesn't allow her to have that kind of flexibility. So I built this company and made a space for people to be who they are and and who they need to be. And we get some amazing crap done. It is yeah. super Super fun. I've been invited to travel to speak. Uh, I never thought that would happen. I've written articles and I never thought that would happen. That's like only smart, really big, important people do that stuff. So, oh my gosh, like I, the fact that I even got invited to do that was just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And my one lesson that I want to tell anybody that is listening, and I think you understand it too, is to me, and this is my own bias and my, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to tick off you normal people, but I'm going to pick on you a minute that it's, it's one thing to be normal and to work in the the world as a normal person, but the people who have disabilities and illnesses and mental health issues and all of those things, that one thing that's a little extra on top of being normal, they're the superstars. They're the ones that have a little bit more strength than just the normal, normal people, because Mm -hmm. we've managed to carry our load plus some. So, you know, the what you can do in the space in your world whether it's veterinary medicine or not, you're a little bit stronger than you think you are. And I know you are because you're doing what you're doing plus you're carrying that little bit of extra. So, I'm already convinced. Like you don't have to to show me or tell me. I know going into the conversation who you are and what you're doing. I want to see what you can do with it. Yeah. And so I want people to know that like the windows open, the doors open, there's air, you can take a deep breath. You have a community, you have people in veterinary medicine that are, everyone is struggling in some way. It may not be you in particular, but maybe you've got a child that has special needs and they have doctor's appointments and they have get in trouble at school all the time. And you're constantly in the counselor's office. And, you know, those things affect you and affect your career as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something you're carrying, but you do care for someone who has it. So you, there's a lot of other able in veterinary medicine, and it really is an awesome place because you can make what you want out of it. Like you can start a marketing company and own your own business and work in your own jamas. Like it's, (laughs) there's all kinds of things that you can do. There is the, there are no rules in veterinary medicine. And that's, that's the beautiful thing. Yes. Amen to that. Well said. 
Thanks. And I will say the one thing that I think we can all agree on about people that are drawn to vet med is that we're kind of scrappy, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we see challenges every day and we, we, we stand in front of them and we face them. And it, it doesn't surprise me when I see people showing up to work with all of these other challenges in their lives that mm-hmm. are committed to the purpose and the mission that really drives them. Because at the yeah. end of the day, it's like, I love what I, I do. I love this industry. So I might be facing some challenges and things might be tough for me right now. And we can, we can change some things and we can adapt, but I can still, I can figure this out. And mm-hmm. I think there's that, that's sort of like a, a really beautiful attitude that I think the people of vet med really have. We're, we're problem solvers. I mean, we're in medicine, right? We're facing Absolutely. problems from, from pets that can't speak. So mm-hmm. we got to find ways to get to solutions for things. And, and I, I'm always really impressed by that. And and I think that your your message is beautiful. There's a place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's it's just been so nice to have you on here and to share your story and to hopefully open up the opportunity for someone else to feel that confidence to share. And whether that's reaching out to you and I on social media, yeah. or by email or whatever, I, I'll speak for both of us. We are here for you yes. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, um, and if you need an ear, if you just need to say something out loud to somebody that you're going yes. through, um, that's important. It's important to feel seen and to feel heard and to know that somebody does care about you. And I, I, I can say for sure the people around you, even if you think that they don't, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's easy to forget that everyone's going through something. Yes. Very true. And, and it's okay. It happens, but that doesn't mean that you need to pretend like everything's fine. So yeah, so it's, I, it's okay to be true and authentic and um, transparent and human. God forbid. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for being on this podcast episode. This was such a meaningful one for me and such a meaning. I just such a meaningful conversation with you. Um, It really touched my heart. And I really, I'm so appreciative for you sharing your story and putting yourself out there with us and for doing what you're doing, continuing to help veterinary medicine as a whole and individual practices with the areas that they need honestly, a lot of help, you know, I know practices really yeah. need help in marketing. Um, I, I know that it's, it's a, it's an area of discomfort for many of us. That wasn't yes. what we signed up for when we said puppies and kittens. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so thank you so much. And, uh, I'll definitely be talking to you soon. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.